There isn't a one-size-fits-all marketing approach to selling real estate. And sure, there's best practices, but I think that you need to develop a strategy that's unique to your brand or your business and that highlights your superpower. So welcome to the Marketing Trench Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you find your superpower and exploring creative solutions to build a more visible brand that consistently delivers an exceptional customer experience. Whether you're selling real estate, loans, title, or escrow, doesn't matter. We've got you covered. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the Marketing Trench. This week, we're awful excited for having watched the room literally 10 seconds ago. Um, with your hat. We're going to be diving into a really interesting report that our friends over at Verse.io put together in collaboration with Ascend2, which is a research marketing company. And the name of the report is The State of Lead Conversion in Marketing and Sales. Just this week, guys, I actually I got an email from, from one of our clients and he said, Hey, I want to run Google Ads. And the immediate next question I had was, Why? Right, like what's your because <laughs> this goes exactly to what we've been talking about for the last yeah. several weeks. What's the um, what's the strategy? There isn't one. The, the right. strategy is I want to get in front of people. Right. Right. It was one of these things where I thought, okay, I don't quite know how to break the ice on this to him. That you know, I'm happy to introduce you to people I know who know how to do Google Ads, but I'm afraid you're about to spend money and not get any success with it. I feel a little bit weird having that conversation because somebody looks at me and they say, "Well, you're escrow. What do you know about selling homes?" <laughs> Well, fair. I don't like. I don't know how to sell homes, but I know how leads work on the internet, and kind of doesn't matter in one way what uh, you know what you're selling. When I read this report, I feel like this is something I can send over to him, and it's also really great because it does apply across industries, and you can kind of break that awkwardness. So, Scott, you're the one who who pointed us to this. I'm going to hand it over to you in just a second. If you're watching the video here uh, live and you have questions as we're going along, feel free to comment. We can see the comments. We'd love to respond to your comments in real time. And then we're also going to post the PDF when we're done over at our Facebook group. So if you want to download it for yourself, it's just it's a PDF and you can download it for yourself and take a look at what we're, we're going through. I will share it. Uh, Scott, hand it over to you and let's just uh, dive in. Do you want to start with the executive summary or do you just want to go right to the first, the introduction? I guess the, the executive summary, I mean, I guess we can kind of start there. Actually, that's no, the second page is, is where the, the most information on the, the introduction. So the, the first thing that I kind of looked at was, you know, what's the sample size on this? We know Verse is primarily in mortgage and real estate space, but it sounds like this report was 277 marketing and sales professionals operating in both uh, B2B and B2C businesses. So it's not specific to our industry, but I was looking at these numbers and, and, and a lot of these numbers seemed like they were very consistent and very realistic. You know, I didn't know I was going to be <laughs> leading the conversation. Out there, but, <laughs> but I did go I did go through this and there's some things definitely jumped out at me. And, and even on this first slide, you know, lead generation is a is an important part of anybody's business. I mean, at least anymore today, you you basically have a, only a few ways you can generate business. You're either generating business from uh, existing relationships, you know, past clients, your database. So let's just call it during COVID, right? So you're mining your database, that's your existing clients. Those are your, your, your leads. 
We're not doing a lot of belly-to-belly networking for this last year and, and may not be for the next six months. So a lot of people are looking at leads. We've had this conversation. A little bit of this, I kind of feel like we've said again, or, or we've said before, but this just, I think, reinforces the importance of of having a an abundance mindset and not at a scarcity mindset when you're looking at leads. So this, I thought, was pretty telling. Overall satisfaction with leads to sales conversion rate. And ultimately, only 25% of people had a negative response. You know, you got a nice chunk of people, about a third of people were neutral about it, which I'm going to call that a win when it comes to lead conversion, <laughs> because if you don't have anything negative to say about it, you're, it's, it's performing as expected, right? But I mean, then you've got, you know, you've got a clear 45% of people that are somewhat to very satisfied with their conversion. And I think the reason they're satisfied is is really what the entire point of this report is, which is what are you doing up front? The next screen was really interesting. Only 39% of companies use lead qualification criteria. That I was a little, I was a little confused on because, uh, you know, well, just like your friend who said, I want, I, I want to do Google ads. How are you qualifying those leads? Because a lead can be anything. Sometimes a lead can be a name and a phone number. I remember back in the day, a lead used to be a forced registration on your IDX, <laughs> on your yeah. website, right? Right, Ricardo? Yep. And they were like, oh, those are IDX leads, but they weren't really great leads, you know? Well, they had- I, I don't think our industry is doing anything like lead scoring or anything like that, right? The only company that I know is doing anything even remotely close to that is Chime. Their CRM has, it's like a behavior-based CRM that when a lead registers on the website and or whatever your other lead source is out, it assigns a score based on how they're interacting with your website and your content. I don't think our industry does lead scoring in the true sense of it. And then the only other company that I think does gathers additional data maybe is lead pops and their landing page funnels. You're collecting what, eight to 10 data points as opposed to just a name and email? 15. Yeah, 15. So lead scoring can be one of two things, right? It can be controlling the conversion on the front end, the types of questions you ask, type of messaging you put out there, the types of questions you're asked, the kind of data points that you're collecting. And then on the back end, out of those leads that come through, how do you prioritize which ones you put the most effort and energy into? You're not going to put the exact same amount of energy into every single lead. You know, that's an important thing. You said Chime... So I know like Lion Desk is a as a free member benefit. Is there any way to 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 do any sort of lead scoring or anything? No. Like like, see, so platforms like that don't do lead scoring mm-hmm. unless you're using something like Salesforce, maybe Active Campaign, Drip, all these other ESPs, they they allow you to do it, but most of our like industry real estate CRMs, they don't. Well, go to the next page. Uh Actually, I wanted to jump in on, on a thought about lead scoring for a second. Because I, I have to say, when I, when I read this, I thought, oh, crud. I've, like when I think about leads, I always forget about the work of actually like scoring them. You know, like having <laughs> qualification. Because I'm just like, get all the leads, right? And just the more idea. Yeah, right. The more, the better. But the idea of looking at a lead and saying this is a low priority almost feels offensive from a sales and marketing perspective. 
because you want to tell yourself, I can get them all. And it's like, wrong. <laughs> you have a limited amount of time. And this is a hidden cost, by the way, to doing... This is where services like Verse are so powerful because a hidden cost of this whole idea of paying for ads and getting leads is that you need to think about who do I want? Why do I want them? And how am I going to know if that lead is any good? Like that takes work up front. This goes to our whole point about you need a strategy, right? Because a strategy helps you answer those questions. If you don't do this, then you're going to get the problem that everyone has, which is they get 50 leads, they call three of them and none of them are any good. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> if you'd scored them, so you knew that you know leads in this bucket were like really, really worth your time and leads in this bucket were really, really not worth your time. If you did that work ahead of time, you would find a lot more success. So I just wanted to point out like, it was a hugely valuable insight to me. You look at the the challenges here, and when you talk about lead scoring again, that's a super powerful tool. If you're if if you're looking at your leads performance, you should be able to backtrack it. There's always a way to make to test and try new things. If the demographic is wrong, you look at your targeting. If they're just not high quality leads, you got to look at your messaging. You know what? Why are they filling out this form if there's no way that they can? take advantage of your product or service. So maybe you're not explaining your product and service right. Quantity usually comes at the expense of quality. You don't want more leads. You want better leads. And and any number of better leads, I could get 10 out of 1,000 or I could hone in my messaging and get 10 out of 20 because... Because I, I, I only generated 20 leads, but 10 of them are in the ballpark, right? Because mm-hmm. we put kind of the, we qualified them up front. So this is interesting. So then the next question they ask are, what are your challenges? What are your greatest challenges to lead conversion? And the number one, 43% uh, is collecting enough data on leads. And, you know, I know we had that experience when we started doing Facebook lead ads. So Facebook lead ads, they collect, stuff off of the people's profile. Consumers profile usually get a name and a phone number. You can get an email address, but those are all the numbers that were already part of their profile. They're not always accurate. They're not always the ones that they used or whatever they used when they set it up. But then not having enough data to make a decision about whether that lead is a quality lead or not. You you said something that's important, Dustin, is the hidden cost of doing this. So working with a company like Verse is not inexpensive, but it's less expensive than having to hire somebody to do this because what you certainly would not want to do if you're a manager or a, a branch manager or a broker is you would not want your salespeople following up on bad leads. Salespeople right. need to mm-hmm. sell, right? And you don't, that's a bad waste of time. You're wasting their energy, your time, and you're probably destroying their morale. You know, because, <laughs> because it's just, it's it's disappointing. And if you don't have good quality leads, following up with leads quickly, 41%. You know, it's interesting that that's a challenge that that many people have because it's been known for a long time that you have to get back to these leads within minutes. You know, almost all of the software and CRM programs and contact and conversion automation programs are doing that, you know, sending out an immediate email or immediate text. So that was curious to me. Well, I still have conversations with people who turn off the drip campaigns because they say it's not personal and I want to reach out to them myself. It's not personalized. It's not whatever. 
So nothing is better than something. I, I, I think that's a mistake. I, I think so too, because that's that scarcity mindset again, where you think every single one is gold and what ends up happening is you miss the gold because you're spending so much time. You're, you're not doing filtering. You're not, it just comes down to qualifying your leads. So if you're not personally qualifying your leads, you outsource it, you hire somebody to do it. So, so I had this problem and maybe this is relevant, maybe it's not. I had this problem where I was having a certain percentage of no-shows for my appointments. So I added an auto sequence now that makes it look like it's me reaching out via email to say, hey, Dustin, saw you just booked a time on the calendar. wanted to reach out and int- briefly introduce myself. Here's a little bit of background on me and here's what you can expect at our meeting. You're probably going to get a calendar reminder and a, I'll text you just before an hour before we, the start time to make sure we're good to go. That's an auto email that goes out and then the text message goes out about 45 minutes before our meeting start time. And then after the meeting concludes, it's, hey, Dustin, just want to say thank you for taking the time to uh, meet with me and Scott today. I really appreciate your time. You're going to get a couple of emails from me with some of the products that we talked about. Keep an eye on your inbox. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to get in touch. What program are you using to do that? I'm using ConvertKit, my email software provider, and I'm using Acuity Scheduling. So here's the funny part. I get replies to almost every one of those emails. I look at my phone. I'm like, who the hell is this? <laughs> like, I have no idea who it is, what it is, but I can see that all of my automations are working. Yeah. Because people are replying, hey, thanks so much. Really looking forward to it. Or, hey, thanks for the reminder. I'll be there at this time. I'm coming back from a listing appointment. Or, hey, thanks so much again for taking the time. I really appreciate you guys. Look forward to working together. And it's all from simple automated emails that I frankly forget that those emails are going out. Like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with with automation. Just you can make it sound so that it is personalized. The 2.1, the consequences of slow follow-up is actually really interesting. Basically, you're saying there's three reasons why speed to lead is so vital. And, And this is so valuable. I just don't know if as salespeople we step outside of what our ultimate goal is and we think of these things from this from this angle. But presence detection, I mean, think about this. The lead puts all of their information into a form. They press the button and there's some sort of, oh no, I just sent all of my stuff out there. And then if they don't hear from anybody, you're now kind of starting to get a reputation. They don't even know you yet, but you've got a reputation as somebody who isn't as motivated as they are to solve their problem. Yep. Right. So that's the messaging that you're sending if you're not following up. The top of mind awareness. This one I think is is valuable because I always say that if somebody's filling out your form, it might not be the only form they're filling out. If somebody's out there filling out forms, top of mind awareness, getting in front of them. And then this is the one that you just described, Ricardo, the wow effect. It says that they're basically saying that most people are are impressed rather than concerned when they get a message within minutes of of following up, even if it's an automated message and they reply back to it. The reality is most people don't know it's an automated message because most of these automated messages, like like for instance, Verse, I, I think Daniel told us about this. Their very first text is, "Hey, I just got your information. Is text or a call better?" Mm-hmm. I mean, how easy is that to do? And what you just did is scored that lead, right? Because if they respond back, now you've got a live body 
Hopefully, if your messaging and your data collection was was accurate, you're right down the path on a qualified lead. Well, and consider the opposite for a second. So when you don't follow up, the three things that they say this creates in the mind of the prospect is the prospect will lose interest, they'll seek out your competition, and they'll feel unappreciated by you. And it makes me think of in the early days of Amazon when they were thinking about building Prime and Jeff Bezos wanted to be competitive <laughs> brick-and-mortar retail shops, he recognized that the thing that mattered was speed, right? It was that feeling that you can get as close to instant gratification as possible. And a fun fact, in 2019 per quarter, Amazon lost, they spent about $10 billion a quarter on shipping. $10 billion a quarter. That is serious money. And I'm sure in 2020, it's even more because I'm sure shipping uh, costs have skyrocketed. Is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So why are they spending billions of dollars? It's because Jeff Bezos and his team uh, know that that Prime is... I don't know. I think we're all Prime members here. We go to Amazon because we're like, Prime is as good to us as getting it right now. And that's an incredible achievement. And you can have a similar achievement without having to spend billions of dollars by sinking a little bit of money into services like Ricardo's using Acuity, I use Calendly, ConvertKit, whatever. You know, you, you can string these things together to create that impression and not cause your people to lose interest. They will seek out your competition, right? Like if they submit a form online, they're like, oh, I wonder if you know Susan Realtor or uh, Johnny Escrow down the street is going to get back to me a little faster. Let me just let me go check them out. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, they're a hundred percent doing that. If they get a response yeah. from you right away then it's almost going to feel like they're cheating on you and they're going to be less inclined to go maybe pop in the inbox of someone down the street. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, you you got to think of what your mindset is when you fill out a form. You're, you are at your peak level of motivation, right? I am doing something about this right now, which means I'm going to fill out the forms. I know somebody is going to call me because they're asking me for my contact information. They know what they're doing and, and you know, the... But as they call it, the speed to lead mission is non-negotiable for sales teams to capitalize on their leads. And I think that's a thousand percent right. If you do not have that mindset and that mission, you need to put a, you know, you need to tap the brakes on your on your lead game. Lead game doesn't mean you get leads. Lead game means you have to convert those leads. Getting the leads in is the easy part. Converting them is the hard part. And and you if you don't have that figured out first. And the very thing, the very minimum you can do, and, and you're right, Ricardo, oh, I want to do it myself. Well, what you're really saying is that once I have an interested person, I'm the best one to sell them. But when we're talking about leads, it's okay if somebody else contacts them and introduces them to the expert that can answer their questions. That's just as valuable. The fact that you're contacting them is more important than the person that contacted them. Right. You agree with that? Yep. Yeah. I mean, this takes us to the next slide, right? Because you think, I don't want to spend the money on focusing on lead conversion and qualification. I don't want to spend the money on a service that can follow up immediately. I'm the best person to do it. It's like, okay, what happens when you're not available? Right. Mm -hmm. I have struggled with my escrow team all the time, by the way, where, you know, they'll tell me, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. Okay, well, what can I get you to outsource? Well, I can just do it faster. I can do it all faster myself. Okay, you can do one thing faster yourself. You can't do all the things faster yourself. And so there's a cost, right? Bottom line, there's a cost associated. In 2.2 challenges, what are the greatest costs associated with lead conversion challenges? Uh, the first one, missed opportunities for revenue. 54% of 
I think that's what it says. 54% of people say that's the greatest cost, right? 44% of people out there say they are too busy to follow up. Yeah, because you're doing everything. Like <laughs> you're the hero of your own story and you have no one to help you. I think we've had this expression on the show before, but I think it goes something like this, right? Like if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others. It's definitely the idea of if you want to build a big desk, if you want to have a big volume of business, if you want to be a top producing agent, if you want to be a top producing title rep, you have to have a team, right? You just, you have to, and you have to be willing to outsource because 40%, we're, you're going to get too busy to follow up. And then what happens? That vicious cycle of the waves and crashes, right? The ebbs and the flows because I got time to follow up. I don't have time to follow up. I have time to follow up. I don't. Anything else jump out to you guys from this one? Wasted staff time, resources, wasted budget. I thought lower employee morale would be higher. <laughs> but, you know, and the contention between sales and marketing, you know, hey, we're generating all these leads and they're not converting. Well, what's, what's funny is those, those costs are not only monetary costs, but they're human resource costs. You yeah, know, you yeah. destroy the, you just, you, you create contention between sales and marketing, you get lower employee morale. That cost is, that cost is unknown and it could be exponential. You know, if you lose somebody, Here, here's an, another thing that I th- I think people miss, and I know this. I know Ricardo can chime in on this. He loves having this conversation. <laughs> you know, people think, oh, if I spend, I don't want to spend a hundred dollars to get a lead, but really, you've got to look at what your cost per acquisition is. If you're participating in like Zillow or something like that, you're probably around two or three thousand. But I mean, think if you, when you close a deal, you're probably five figures, right? You're making good money on that. So if I came up to you, Dustin, and I said, listen, Mr. Real Estate Agent with the average commission check of $15,000 per transaction, if I could guarantee you one closed loan for 5,000 or one closed home for $5,000, would you pay $5,000 for each one of those leads? You wouldn't hesitate. You'd right. say, yeah, how can I do it? But for some reason, we have this challenge with we're not willing to spend $5,000 to find that one closed deal in our lead generation process. So I think there's a there's a little bit of a mindset that, that needs to be handled. And you do have to look at all of these costs because 36% is wasted budget. The rest of them are inefficiencies, right? They're inefficiencies or they're just stuff that you don't want. You know, people weren't hired to deal with these types of problems mm-hmm. kind of thing with the morale with the morale issue. You know, it's interesting to me that just wasting their budget isn't a big deal. And I think the, the key mm-hmm. word there is budget. So they're going into this thing saying, I recognize it's going to cost me three to $5,000 in leads in order to complete a transaction. And then when you're operating from that mindset, now you're starting to focus, how do I miss less opportunities? How do I not waste resources on or time on staff? The obvious question here is a outsource. So you're not paying for somebody to sit in your office eight days or eight hours a day when you may or may not need them for eight straight hours. So you outsource it either through technology or or for service. There's a lot of people that don't want to relinquish that. Con- they feel the job's going to get done better if I have a 
physical human body in my office. Yeah. That's a very limiting mindset. It's hard for control freaks like that to, you get at some point you've got to relinquish because like you said, what's the worst thing that could happen in this scenario is that it works. And when it works, you're buried and you're ignoring everything that's coming in while you're busy working on that one lead that's good. If you're the only one that's doing it, you're stopping all progress every time you have any semblance of success. When you outsource it, you do it right. Hopefully that one successful conversation is followed up with another successful conversation that your service or your system bubbled up to the surface so that you're only spending your time on the highest and best use of, of your time and your experience. Well, and this, this goes to, too, I think, the reason that there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding you know, paying $5,000 to get business or hiring somebody outside of your office to do the follow-up tasks that, frankly, you don't have time to do. The reason there's uncertainty about that is because I feel like people enter into buying leads with a figure-it-out-as-you-go mentality, right? This goes right back to the whole idea of strategy. And it's interesting that 2.3, the challenges, the importance of marketing and sales alignment, right? Here in the report, they're saying, when a sales force and marketing team are working in tandem, the result is a streamlined and optimized lead handoff process. For 44% of those surveyed, there is a lack of quality in leads delivered to the sales team. Right, readiness to buy and inability to contact are also reported issues, but lead quality we get it all the time. These leads are bad, and it, again, it's just like okay, you, you can't have a figure it out as you go mentality. You have to know what you want when you're getting these leads, and then that's going to tell you who do I need to follow up, and then where can those people be? Right, they can be remote. It should also tell you how much do I think I'm going to need to spend. Those both factor into having a really clear head around what kind of leads you're trying to get. And not to make this infinitely more complicated, but even if you don't contact those leads initially, there's this whole building your database, the value of building a database, because especially in the real estate and mortgage space, if you get in front of people, you're getting get, you're going to get in front of people at, at, at different stages of the buying process. A lot of people that are willing to fill out forms are very early entry and they're just gathering information. They're kind of putting their toe in the water. It doesn't mean it's a bad lead. So even if they're not ready to buy now, speed to lead, getting that conversation, building that rapport and being a resource for them as they continue on their path. Now you're building your database, which, you know, I, I know Ricardo harps on all the time. You've got to build that digital Rolodex. So as soon as something pops up, let's say there's a shift in the market, hit all of those people that haven't bought yet, but you know they are, you know they're going to buy and you know you've built rapport off of them because you had a system is what you just described, Dustin. Collecting leads, if I don't get a hold of them and I throw it on the table, that's throwing away money. Every single one of those leads needs to go into a database that you can drip, nurture, touch in the future because they may be ready in it and they may be ready in the future. So all of these complaints that people are complaining about, you're just filling your database with that stuff. Lead generation is a lot like baseball, you know, and it it is, if you're hitting 300, you're probably going to make it into the hall of fame, you know, for your whole career. And people don't 
focus on that. They think that they should be getting nine out of 10 leads. Now get one or two out of 10 leads and you're, you're probably totally rocking that system. That's a system that you can replicate and just do over and over again. And then so, I, I would just say you have to create sort of an annual contact strategy for all of this stuff that's coming in, not just a, let me try to call them once or twice and oops, it's a bad lead. I think in, gosh, what's the name of the book? What's the Keller Williams book? Is it the Millionaire Real Estate Agent? Yeah, yeah, that's. Yeah. I, I think in I think in that one, or, or uh, I forget which name of the book, but it was you should have your sphere of influence on an annual contact plan, and that annual contact plan should include about thirty three touches, and it could be in combination of phone calls, text, and um, email, and you know other things like a postcard, you know annual appreciation event, whatever. But the stats that they talk about in the book were thirty three contact attempts should net you at least two transactions from about 40 records or something like that. Anyway, the point being, it's easier to close a lead if it's a, refer- if it's a referral, right? You know, when you get a referral from somebody, that's, that's a layup. Should be, it should be easy anyway. Easier than uh, working and converting online leads. Those are more like taking a contested three-point shot. They're a little more difficult and they require... Uh, maybe a little more aggressive approach. So using something like Verse, Structurally, some other type of AI that'll do the follow-up for you and then being aggressive because like Scott always says, these guys are you know three to 18 months out from making some any type of decision. And, and the, the thing that I love about lead generation, again, and, and, and I'm hoping what people take away from this I don't know, this might be a boring topic, but anybody that's interested in leads, uh, I hope what they take away from this is that lead generation online has been going on for a very long time now. It is a science. It it can be done. It can be replicated. There's not a whole lot of guessing game, but there is a lot of planning that goes into it because you can throw money at ads and generate leads but how you convert those leads, how you store those leads, how you nurture those leads long-term, I kind of call it short-term activities that's investing in your long game. And your long game here with Consumer Direct is building your database, right? Is building this, this database of people that you know want to buy. And, and guess what? At some point, if they don't buy from you, there's still a homeowner that's sitting in your database, Right. So it's still their contact information, even though their 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 status. That's one of the really really valuable parts. That's one of the really valuable things with with lead generation. And then you turn them into a past client. They turn into a referral machine for you by doing having the right systems and processes up front is going to exponentially increase your return on that initial investment because now you're talking about lifetime value of that closed client and that database of 10, 15, 20,000 people that are in the mindset that they want to be homeowners. Yeah. And I think that that insight about having, you know, understanding that a lead that comes in might not be an instant sale, but it might fit into another bucket that someday will convert is so powerful This next slide, which says which lead conversion solutions are currently in place along these lines, I thought was really interesting because 48% of respondents said that the lead conversion solution they have in place 
or they have their sales staff handle the lead conversion. So basically half of the half of the people you're in competition with right now in your industry are handling lead conversion themselves. And we all know that that is a recipe for disaster, right? So in other words, they're not following up. Like Scott, as you're talking about, some of these people need to go into a bucket where you're going to talk to them for 18 months. Do we really yes. think that busy salespeople are keeping those those kinds of leads in the back of their mind and follow? No way. That's not happening. And so what does this mean? Like when I read this slide, I think, my God, if, if I put some basic lead conversion in place, especially if it's automated, I'm going to be ahead of half of my competition. That's like, that's mind-blowing. It's like, <laughs> unfair. <laughs> well, and, and look at this. You, you know, you've only got 15% using a contact or call center and 27% using third-party software. The overwhelming majority of people, well, the custom-built software, I guess, that people are doing. But th this is really interesting. And that's a really good perspective, Dustin, because it looks like the overwhelming majority of these people are trying to handle it, <laughs> handle it themselves. And how many leads do you need to be generating in order to justify a full-time staff position and then the software that they're using and the follow-up and all of that kind of stuff, that might not be easy to do for somebody that's just getting started in the leads. If you right. don't have your systems and your processes in place, you figure, oh, well, this is going to be the most cost-effective way to do it. It's actually probably the least productive and, and least cost-effective way to do it is doing it all yourself. Yeah, because you're spending the money and not converting, probably. Well, and it, and it always goes back to what if it works, right? Because ultimately, we're doing this because we want it to work. And if it works, you're busy. You're not following up on any of those other leads. You're not following up on the person that said, well, we might be thinking about buying in the next six months. So you're like, okay, I don't have to call them back for six months. But what that really means is we haven't found the right place yet. And you know, you don't know when they would have when they're going to buy. Going on to that, the, the idea of for those few people who are automating, right? What automation are they using? It looks like email automation is, is the top at 44%. But look at the drop off between that and some sort of con conversational marketing, which I think is what Verse would technically fall into at 26%. I mean, that is a huge drop off. But like we discussed earlier, with Ricardo's, you know, follow-ups. I guess, you know, Ricardo's is technically email marketing automation, but like anytime you can make it feel conversational, right? Anytime you can be like, hey, just quick reminder, we've got this, whatever, you get amazing response from that. And only a quarter of the people who are using some sort of follow-up solution. So it's a quarter of like what, 25 or 30%, whatever that number was just above us, are utilizing that kind of powerful. 15, oh, yeah, okay, fine. So a quarter of 30% at best are using that kind of powerful conversion. It's like... I, I haven't had any no-shows since I added that automation to my pre-appointments. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> That's huge. It was upsetting because for about a month and a half, I just kept noticing every week I'd have two to three no-shows, two to three no-shows, two to three no-shows. That occupies mind share. Are they going to show up? Are they not going to show up? Why didn't they show up? Do they want to reschedule? You know, I, I can be working on other things. Right. But now I don't I rarely have any no shows. It's it's more looking forward to the appointment. Thanks for reminding me. Or if I do have a no show, it, it's literally someone asking, Hey, I have to reschedule. Can we do this next week or something? But I don't have that no show problem anymore. So I don't have to worry about 
showing up to the appointment and seeing what's, you know, what's what all by adding just a little touch of personalization. Like this stuff doesn't have to be or sound canned. It, you can personalize it. The best ones are just open-ended questions like, Hey, is this a good time to talk or, you know, are you still interested? That kind of thing. This next slide is really interesting. You guys, I don't know if you dove into this, but these are the most used channels for following up with leads and you're looking at this and you're like, okay, you got some social media, some live chats, some texts, some emails, some phone calls, and then take a look at this closer look. And, and I can absolutely uh, confirm this. 89% of consumers prefer to communicate with, with businesses via SMS, text message, with an opportunity as clearly defined as this. Now may be the time to re-examine your communication strategy. Out of all of these people, Six percent were using text, right? So, yeah. And these are sales and marketing experts that are, you know, doing this. Even the experts are are starting to figure this out. Verse puts out some really good numbers on on the, on the text part of this. I know they were only a small piece of this thing, but that's important. You know, that's something. That's a takeaway right now that everybody can can get out of here. The best way to follow up on a lead that just comes in is a text. Hey, just got your, and I think Verse nailed it with, hey, just got your info. Do you prefer to text or call? And I would say it's probably north of 90% of the people say, yeah, let's, let's, let's text, you know, because a lot of them are at work, you know, they don't want to take a phone call, but they can text under the desk and boss. <laughs> Well, and t- I mean, there's so many reasons why texts are better. I, I mean, <clears throat> uh, you can, you can see a text, think about it, get back. You don't feel the pressure to answer immediately, right? That kind of thing. Yeah. And it's crazy. Yeah, you're right, Scott. I didn't even I didn't even catch that, but six percent of people use text, eighty-nine percent of consumers want it. It's like <laughs> there's your gold nugget for this whole report. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And that well, and that what's also interesting is now we go straight to this next slide. The most common follow-up sequence is a phone call, an email, and a phone call. And that's consistent with the previous slide. But we know that 89% of consumers prefer text. So I don't know. That's interesting. How often is direct contact made when following up with a lead? So they're saying that half the time direct contact is made when following up with a lead. And then one in five of those surveys said they connect with a lead over 80% of the time. So what do you think accounts for that discrepancy? I, I would guess it's lead quality, right? Bad phone number. Yeah. So, I mean, this goes back to the top when we were talking about scoring and getting the right information. You know, the next one is the average time to contact. But really, my question is, is how many attempts is it to do that? Because we've all seen the, the, the attempt chart that the overwhelming majority of contact is made between like the seventh and ninth attempt or the seventh and ninth reaching out to somebody. This is interesting. I'm curious to see less than half of the initial attempts to contacts are made within 30 minutes. The heck is that all about? It looks like they're just saying that it takes <laughs> that less than half the people out there are are reaching out within 30 minutes. 28%. So it's like one hour or less, two to three hours within one business day. Again, again, this is your competition. Right. Right. Yeah. This is what your competition is doing. So being cognizant of this and building this into your follow-up system, you automatically know that you know you're competing with 
if you contact them in 28 minutes or less, you know, only 28% of your competition is doing that. You know what's crazier? Only 17% of those surveys reported that the first follow-up attempt is made within the first five minutes. <laughs> five <laughs> minutes. That's, That's crazy. 250 internet years. Oh, oh it absolutely <laughs> is. No, it absolutely is. Go, go, go back to the, the... Well, don't go back to it, but if you think about the previous slide that we were talking about, yeah. um, as far as you fill out the form, you push the, you push the button and the form goes out, 30 minutes is an eternity. That's 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 millennia in in, in in instant gratification Google world. Now here here oh, there you go. How many how many attempts are being made? Yeah, so it says that two days after acquisition, lead acquisition, 42% of people say that they've made five attempts. So that's that number surprises me because we know that a bunch of people are doing this manually. Right. And again, though, this goes to the cost because if you're in sales, how much, like, what this tells me is I'm in sales. Half of that 42% are people who are doing this thing manually. I'm spending a lot of time on the phone or email because we know it goes phone, email, phone. Right. So I'm spending a lot of time firing that stuff off manually. That's time you're not spending with your current book of business. That's time you're not, you know, getting referral business. I applaud the effort. Five is a lot. Five is, you know, five is really good. Man, you're really you're really sinking a lot of your energy into trying to convert a lead on your own without uh, backup resources. Yeah, Michael Penny just chimed in here with one more interesting stat. 68% of conversions are happening on attempt six through eight. And this is from versus uh, smart cadences studied over 10 million leads. If that doesn't put things into perspective, 68% are happening on attempt six through eight. So, Ricardo, you're 100% right. If I can get you on the phone with my first phone call, I'm the best person to talk to you. But <laughs> I am not the best person to make six to eight attempts on every single lead to get you on the phone. Yep. So, thanks for that, Michael. That's uh, That's a shocking statistic. That should put these things into perspective. See, this stuff isn't rocket scientist. It's not some elusive lead lead conversion. Is not some elusive fantasy that people talk about that you don't ever actually get to see one. It is a formula for success. And once you understand what that formula is and what needs to take place and what effort needs to be put into it, you build that system or you hire you outsource to that system. And then you're not worrying about all these things. You're not one of these people that show up in these miserable side of the statistics that, oh, leads suck. <laughs> so so now let's, let's take that. With, with everything that we've talked about, can you still honestly say it's the lead? You know, I mean, if you ask yourself, are you doing all of these things? If you're not, there's room for improvement. The leads might still suck, but there's a lot of room for improvement <laughs> before you can legitimately make that claim uh, and have it be accurate. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great insight. And you know what? This last one I think is super important also. I've, I've seen this over and over and over again. And I think I've only, I don't remember what the number is. I've probably only... I think I've done less than 2,000 leads through through the system, maybe maybe a little bit more. But these this is really, really consistent with what I'm seeing is leads are coming in and they're being generated off hours. 
Yeah. And, and it's right around 40, 45%. It's interesting. Different things are higher. Like, like if you're promoting a listing, you know, like a listing that's for sale, I find that those are a lot more of those are after hours because those are probably people at, off work and on the weekends, you know, they're looking, you know, searching for homes and things like that. Again, you're building your system knowing that what are you, what are you doing to capture those 40 plus or minus percent of, of leads that come in. If you're not if you're not doing automation, if you don't have somebody following up on them, you're failing on your speed to lead mission. And we know that that's the single most critical piece of your of, of a lead conversion strategy. Yeah, well, and just the thought, you know, I put myself in the shoes of the dad or the mom at the Saturday morning soccer game. They're watching their kid play. They can be doing one of two things. They can either be distracted, trying to answer calls, respond to emails, and do all the work themselves. I guess they could do one of three things. So that's one. The second thing is they could be doing nothing and being fully dedicated to that game, which is fantastic because you're there for your family, but you're not doing business. Or the third thing they could be doing is fully dedicating themselves to the game while the business is being handled by services like Verse or others that we've mentioned, by, by automations that, that scratch that itch of making people feel appreciated and creating the wow effect. And why wouldn't you choose option three? Like, why wouldn't you want to be at a game and know that your leads are being worked? This thing is so valuable because it really puts lead generation and conversion into, um, it kind of seems like a lot of times it's an afterthought, like, oh, we don't have enough business. We need to generate leads. And that's not the right way to approach it because you're not thinking about it the right way. You're trying to solve what you perceive as a bleeding neck. And so all you're just trying to do is get a bandage on it and, and stop the bleeding as fast as you can. The, the, and here's the cool part about this is once you build this machine, once you have a company that handles this, if you outsource it or you build the technology, it's set it and forget it. Like Ricardo said, I, I write these sequences all the time and then I totally forget what the sequence even is, but it keep working. And you go back and you look at it and you're like, oh, wow, that was pretty good. Or like, oh, wow, that was pretty bad. I wonder if I can tweak it or whatever. But it literally now all you're doing is making sure that the system is still working. I, I, I laugh. I'm like, oh, wow, I can't believe I wrote that. Yeah. I remember too, because you're four or five old fashions in when you're writing it. <laughs> uh, so dirty. Well, you don't love me anymore? <laughs> they start coming out. So yeah, that's what I wanted to point out too about the methodology, and th and that is that almost almost eighty percent of the people who responded are in companies of one hundred or greater employees. Fifty percent, almost fifty percent of those people are VP, director, manager level, and then if you if you put owner, partner, C level, that goes up to almost again seventy uh, percent. And in fact, it goes up to 70% exactly. Math is so hard. And so, and so here you have, right, 80 and 70. In other words, a, a substantial portion of the people who have responded aren't like independent entrepreneurs handling one to two deals or you know, maybe even a hot entrepreneur handling 12 transactions, 20, 30 transactions a year. Like these are, if, you're, if you have a company of 100 people or more, you're doing serious volume. And if you're VP or higher, you are somebody who has been in the trenches for a while. You've seen a lot of transactions. You've wor probably worked with a lot of salespeople. In other words, 
in this report is deep institutional knowledge. I, I think that's really valuable because just frankly, a lot of us in this industry don't have knowledge working at that level because there are very, very few teams, agents, companies that are operating at that level in our industry. Really powerful stuff. We're going to put it up on uh, the Facebook page so you can download it or you can just go... Here's the URL, but it'll pro- probably just be easier for you to go to our Facebook page, find it there, download it. And of course, you can also follow us on Facebook where we'll be trying to put more of this kind of stuff there. If you found this conversation to be interesting, you might find some of our sister podcasts to also be interesting. And you can find that over at the Real Disrupt Podcast Collaborative. RealDisrupt.com is where you can find our sister podcasts in that amazing network. Um, And of course, if you have any questions, you can find us all on Facebook. Just uh, tag us in in a question on the Facebook group. And we'd be happy to answer. We're always looking for more topics. We want to answer the kinds of questions or dive into subjects that you find to be really interesting. Um, If you happen to have our personal emails, feel free to reach out to us there as well. This has been awesome, guys. Thanks for... uh, Scott, thanks for finding this. Until next time, this has been The Marketing Trench. Yeah. Yeah.